Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for hitting the download button or whatever button that you hit to listen to the radio show, The Aftermath. Back with another bonus episode for you. Got M16 and Easy here with you. So, again, we appreciate you listening. Easy, what's going on, man? What you up to? Oh, uh, you know, just being lazy, uh, playing some video games, or was. And then you got to interrupt it with a little bit of work, but... It's fun work. And then also I wanted to point out really quick, um, we have another bonus episode that's out there that we recorded with a great friend of the show. Big Debo from My Black Friend is out there for your consumption on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, so make sure and check that out. We talked a lot of, you know, good things on there, sports, COVID, everything, you name it. So check that out. But now we're back with another episode of The Aftermath where we're talking to a very talented brother, out of New York, um, somebody that I'm proud to call a friend of mine. Uh, it's a guy by the name of Chris Green, but he also goes by Truth First. Um, very talented producer, actor. Ra- this guy is like a traveling band, so we're going to go ahead and give him the applause. Bring him on in. Chris, what's Yo, up, man? How's it going? What's up, man? Going great, Thanks. going great. Can't complain. How's everything with you? It's cool. It's cool as it can be in this pandemic, man. I, you know, we appreciate you, you know, coming on, being a guest on the aftermath, man. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's definitely my pleasure. Thank you for that. Absolutely. So, yeah, man, we, um, you know, wanted to, you know, talk to you because you have such a diverse background. Um, like we mentioned right from the beginning, you know, you're a, you know, a rapper, a director, an actor. Um, so we're just going to jump right into it. Can you get an audience an overview of your timeline, like starting from where you were starting off as a rapper when you were in high school, um, and just kind of give the audience a little bit of uh, your history? Well, I started off as a rapper back when I was uh, probably like, I know most rappers said, when they were 12, 13. Um, I think my first song that I got on the radio was with Stretch Armstrong and Bob Beto. Um, it was produced by my man, Sarey. Sarey did a lot of tracks, you know, even when, so I was 16, 17 at the time. And that, no, 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 sorry, excuse me. The first track I got on Stretch Armstrong and Bob Beto was actually produced by my man, Anthony Gathers. And we got that on and they gave me some type of, you know, accolades, but they could show I needed polish. So I was glad for them to actually play it at the time because I was still in high school. 
So me being from the suburbs of New York and hearing, you know, my song on Stretch Armstrong and Bob Beatles radio show was like, oh, my God. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't signed. I had no affiliation with any labels. And then my second song I got on the radio, I was first year at college. And um, it was, I grouped up with my men. It was a duo. It was myself and Omni Blaze, who also goes by now Edson Sean. He's more of a singer nowadays. But back then we had a group together called Connect. And we did a song called World Premiere. And uh, we got it on the radio stations and we had it on, um, back then it was undergroundhiphop.com. So that was like the first, the first website for underground hip-hop. So it was undergroundhiphop.com. So we got it on there. Um, since then, we did an album together, me and Omni Blaze. We did one album together. And then he went solo. So since he went solo, I had to in turn go solo right. also. So so I did a couple of albums on my own. My first album, I went out to Sweden, and I did an album with my man, uh, Tony and Bushman. They were two big, prominent artists, um, prominent producers out in Sweden, Namo Sweden. So, so I did an the, album with them. What's the timeline, like, year-wise? Like, what year was it that the song, that your first song got on the radio? If we can kind of have, like, a timeline. Like, what what year was that? That was 1992. Okay. 1992, and the second song got on the radio around 1995. And then the first time I went out to Sweden was 2001. And but I went out there a few times, did a couple of albums out there. Um, so it was a long, 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 long uh, journey. You know, people say, oh, he blew up overnight. Now everyone has a long journey. Everyone has to put in their work. So I was doing music for a while. Then we linked back up, myself and Omni Blaze. First, I did a tour with Jazz and Lincoln Center. That was back in 2007. So Jazz, Jazz and Lincoln Center, they have this program called the Rhythm Road Program. And what they do is they send um, artists who represent Western culture. So anything musically that was created here in the States. So jazz, folk music, rap music. Um, so they find groups and then they ship them across the, the globe. So we were one of the 10 groups chosen. Um, my first tour, I went to... Malaysia, Burma, India, and we did that, like I said, back in 2007, and then I linked back up with Omni Blaze, like I said, now he's a singer, so we did a, we got chosen for a second time, and we went to Africa in 2009, we went to Cote d'Ivoire, Mauritania, Burkina Faso, (sighs) Togo, went to about six countries on Western Africa, and the whole program is supposed to go wherever the Western influence is in strong. So what they were trying to do is actually bridge the, bridge the gap between Western culture and wherever Western culture is in strong. So wherever there's like a Muslim country or somewhere where they're not as receptive to Western influence, we try to bridge the gap through music. So I was chosen twice by Jazz and Lincoln Center. Uh, so that was 2009. And then I say... I got married. Actually, I got married. So that's what really stopped me from doing music. I got married, and then I had to make that transition from music to acting and directing. And that was in 2000. I got married in 2013. 
thirteen. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say, Chris, you got to make sure you, if your wife listening, be sharper. Like, yeah, two thousand thirteen. I know exactly when. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, it, I don't want to put it all out there. You know, long story short, we got married um, for love, and we got married because we got pregnant. And we gave it our college try. You know, we tried to make it work, but we, we've been divorced for about four years now. Okay. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be like that sometimes. I'm sorry to hear about that, but sometimes, you know, when you turn the page, you just never know what's on the other side of it for you. But, um, exactly. again, we're talking to, talking to Chris Green, also known as True First. He's our guest today on the radio show, The Aftermath. Now, Chris, you, you were mentioning um, when you were talking about your history, and it's sort of synonymous with people who know you and then also who knew about um, S and Sean were Omni Blaze when he was rapping, but S and Sean, so he's a mutual friend of ours. And recently, uh, he released a song featuring Redman, who I know ha- had been a favorite of his for a long time. So when we're talking about hip hop, what's like a dream co- collaboration that you either had or you would like to have in the future? Uh, when I was younger, well, not too much younger, but when I was younger. I always wanted to do redo Redman's Rated R. So okay. if anyone knows Rated R, it was off the first album, what the album. So back when I had that idea, I used to go by Chris Real. So people used to call me Real because, you know, as of now, you know, people call me Truth Surf. I always try to speak the truth. You know, I don't pull any punches. I don't lie to anybody. It is what it is. You can take it however you want to take it. So back then I went by Chris Real. People call me Real. So I want to do a remake of Rated R. So it would be real, Royce the Five Nine, um, Rise, Kaz, Red Man, and Rakim. So that that would have been my dream collaboration, Rated R Part Two. I mean, it could still. I mean, you never know. It could still happen. You know, that's what makes it a dream. And you're out there trying to make it happen. So you never know. It could make it happen. Now, definitely. definitely. Now, also, you know, as part of, like I said. You're diverse. You have a big catalog of things that you have your hand in. You know, you got True First Studios and everything. So a part of your acting career, um, one of the things was you were in an indie short film, uh, for people who don't know about it, it's actually available on YouTube. It's called Raymel Carter, which you also directed. So I got several questions about this. Like, this brings up, like, several questions. So yeah. the first one is, um, where was this filmed, and how long did it take to shoot it? Um, it was shot here in uh, New York, in the suburbs, Spring Valley, New York. It took us about, honestly, it only took us about a week to do. We had to go back and film, reshoot a couple of scenes. But I would say the most, it took us about seven to ten days to shoot. Uh, the runtime is only about 25 minutes, 30 minutes. And um, it was based more on the action. So the writer slash producer, um, my man, Louis P, he wrote the piece. He came to me. He's like, yo, I got this great film. You know, I want to make it come to life. Can you help me make it come to life? So I was like, yeah, sure. And when you see him and then anyone who sees the film again, it's called Ramel Carter. Um, when you see him, you don't think he can move the way he moves. Anyone who sees the film is like, yo, he did all that. Cause he's about five eleven. Maybe the size the size of Zion, you know what I'm saying? Right. So five eleven around two fifty two sixty. But when you see the way he gets up, all the kicks he does, it's all him. You know, he well, was studying martial arts since he was nine years old. It's funny that you mentioned that because Easy, we were talk. My brother and I, we were talking about that beforehand. Easy, you got your you got I your was, question for I Chris was literally 
I was literally just saying that every time he did that jumping roundhouse kick, it was like the equivalent of a Kamehameha in, in Dragon Ball Z. Like, he did that kick, <laughs> and whoever he was fighting, they were done. Like, it was like, over with. And yeah, it makes you wonder, it like, why he a great didn't... point. Like, the way he was moving, it's like, wow, this dude is like Aaron Donald or something. He's just so swift for, a, for like, a big guy. Like, it, it was crazy to watch. It was unbelievable because I didn't know he could move like that. Even though we... You know, I grew up in, I was born in the Bronx, but I grew up in Spring Valley. So I seen him around and to, I just knew, cause he was a rapper first. We all start off as rappers. And you know, when you write rhymes, it's, e- it's a little easier to start writing scripts. So he wrote this script and he came to me and I was like, so we're going to do all these action scenes. He was like, yeah. I was like, so have you studied? Are you, are you, are you ready to do these action scenes? He's like, yo, just don't worry. Just, 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 just film and I'll do what I got to do. And the first time I seen him do it, I was like, what? I had to take, I had to just cut a couple of times and be like, yo, I got to give it to you, man. I wasn't expecting that. Because when people see the film, it's like, especially the last fight that he has, um, this guy he flew in from, uh, from California. And this, this scene that they did is, I'm telling you, I was just in shock the way he moved. It's just crazy. You got to see it for yourself. So, so that brings up another question about that. Besides that part of it is, a lot of people see the, well, of course, what we see as a consumer is the the movie that comes to life. But all we get is the finished product. We don't see what goes on behind that. So, what goes on that people don't see when you're directing a movie? Because I'm assuming this is extremely different from if you're direct, because you've directed several mu- mu- uh, music videos. So how is directing a movie, like, what are you going through with that? Um, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things. Because I wore a lot of hats, you know. As you said, I was a director. I was also acting in it. So on the scenes that I'm actually acting in, I'm giving direction to the cameraman. And, you know, first of all, anyone who wants to direct, make sure everyone's on the same page. You know, before you embark on this journey, Make sure everybody's on the same page. Um, we had a couple of conflicts, you know. I'm in the scene, I'm acting, and now the cameraman, you know, everybody wants to get their light. Everyone feels like this is my time to shine. <laughs> so now the cameraman wants to play the director. So the, now we're, we're, we're bumping heads, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, no, I want to shot this way. He's like, no, I think, you know, so... Anyone who's starting out, you know, you got your DSLR, you want to create something, just make sure everyone that you get on your team, everyone's on the same page. If they're not on the same page, make sure you work with someone who's very accommodating, put it that way, that you can always come to an agreement. You can always, you know, say, okay, I see what you're saying. You see what I'm saying. And now we can do this together. You know what I'm saying? Because you don't want to work with people who are pigheaded, stubborn, no, this is the way it's got to be. And as you can see, it's an independent movie, so we're all fresh. We're all, you know, we're behind the ears. So since that's the case, since we're all wet behind the ears, everyone feels they know as much as the next person, and that might not be the case. And what I've learned, um, I didn't go to school for this. Um, it's all a work in progress for me. I'm actually, when I'm not acting in front of the camera and doing lines, I'm also a background actor. I'm standing. 
you know, so whenever you see a TV show and say, so I stood in for Mahershala Ali on Remy. Remy's a show that comes on uh, Hulu. And um, when you stand in for someone, that's when the, the principal actor, they leave the set. And then now they need someone to stand in their place so they can set the lights and set the camera angles and blah, blah, blah. By doing that type of work, you can learn a lot on the job. So by me being a stand-in, I'm getting paid to learn what people might learn by going to school. So I see the camera angles. I see how the light and the gaffers, how they maneuver things and how everything should be lit and how they use, you know, balance being balances and all that type of stuff. So that's the, the stuff that we don't, that like people like us who are just consuming the product, we don't know, like, we don't know anything about, about that part of it, you know? And it's interesting because in your aspect, like you were saying, you're there and you're just, yeah, they say, okay, this guy's a standing, but you're there soaking up the knowledge. You know, you're soaking up things you're going to borrow later to create your own uh, movies and produce your own movies. So um, did you know that was part of it when you were doing stand-ins? Like, did you know that was going to be part of it? Or it was like, look, somebody's asking me to stand in on a major, like, show on a big network. I'm just doing this. Or did you have an idea this is something I can learn from? There's two re- two major reasons why people do stand-in work. Number one, you have to sometimes, not all shows, some shows they make you run the lines. So you have the head writer there, you might have the producer on set, you have a director on set, and then they see you running lines. So it's almost an audition. So you might not get a major role, but you can get a guest starring or, you know, feature, you know what I'm saying, by, you know, auditioning on set. So that's one thing. But two, why I did it also is because I do soak up the knowledge. I do try to have conversations with uh, the gaffer or whoever the sound guy is, like, oh, what lavaliers do you use? Um, what sound equipment do you use? You know, I'm trying to shoot my own thing, and um, I'm not sure what lavalier to get. You know, I see this on Amazon. Is that worth it? You know, someone might say, no, nah, no, nah, you don't want that. That's only like $200. It's going to, you know, it's not going to pick up well, or you're going to have a lot of air in it. What you need to do is pick up this one. So you have to be on set. You have to, it's up to you, you know, if you really want to make this your career, you're going to take advantage of all the, all that you have in front of you. And that's what I try to do. Uh, it's, I mean, it sounds like it's turning out because, I mean, Ed, did you have any idea that a stand-in was able to do, like, be able to see and do all this stuff? Because I just figured they were just in the background, like, eating salad or whatever, you know, while the scene is going on or something, you know? <laughs> no, um... You know, I used to do theater in middle school, so we talked about a lot of that stuff a lot. Um, like Chris was saying, just, like, angles are, like, really important, especially in, like, theater and movies. Like, the way that the actor faces the camera or the way that the light is angled, the camera's angled, like, all that stuff matters because it's all about the imagery at the end of the day. So I knew a little bit about that, but not as in detail the one thing I would say, anyone who's listening, who wants to get into acting, wants to get into the business, it's so simple, but this is what you can make your career on. There's three things you need to know. Know your words, number one. Know where to say your words. So as you were saying, as you face the camera, so it's called blocking. 
So know your words is number one. Two, know where you say your words. So if I'm in a scene and I come in the door and I say this line at the door and then I walk to the table and I say that line at the table, make sure you keep that same sequence every time, you, every take. You know what I'm saying? So it'll be easier for the editor to do his job. Because you don't want to say, hey, at the door, and then the next take, you say, hey, at the table. And then the editor can't do what he has to do. You know what I'm saying? So number one, know your words. Number two, know where you say your words as far as blocking. And three, say your words with passion. Because no matter how you say your words, no one else can say your words. So you can say, yo, I love what that guy did on screen. I love how she said what she said. And that's what's going to make you that actor. You know, don't try to have someone feed your lines or do something like that because Samuel Jackson is Samuel Jackson because he says his words the way he says his words. So don't try to mimic somebody else. You know what I'm saying? Say it how you'll say it, and then you'll be the only one that says it that way. Just like the way Redman says, the way he says, the way Jay-Z says his lines, the way, and Fabulous, you know what I'm saying? So say your right. words with passion. And then you'll be the only actor, and then they'll seek you out because only you say those lines that way. And uh, speaking of saying lines, it's another thing that I want to bring up about the Ramel Carter movie. And again, we're talking to Chris Green, also known as Truth First, checking him out here on the radio show, The Aftermath. Now, Chris, anyone that's getting to know you during this interview, and like I know you because we're friends, also, I can say that you are like yes, one sir. of the ni- you are one of the nicest people you could ever meet. You are accommodating. You're a stand-up guy. But in this thank movie, you, you, you played just a hideous person, just a terrible villain, all right? So you got to tell me, how was it playing a bad guy going against the type of person that you actually are? Because this uh, Alex Riley character is a terrible, terrible person. Uh, I'm not sure if we could curse, but my my friend said you, you just play the a-hole that you are. <laughs> um. I don't know how, and this was a bad, you know, like I said, it was me. Everything was in flux, put it that way. Everything was in flux. So the the director slash, I mean, the writer slash producer let me have a little leeway because this the, the lines weren't finite, so I could play with them a lot. Okay. So <laughs> it helped that I was the editor also. I was director's last editor, so I can play with my lines and do what I do. So I didn't really know my lines. <laughs> I didn't know my lines as much as I should have because when it came time to shooting, I was more pressed on how are we going to film it. So again, you know, please put me. You know, I'm glad it came out the way it came out. You know, everything worked out in the end. But no, I didn't know my lines the way I should. So it was more visceral in the actual takes. So on the, on the couple of scenes where I'm actually giving lines, like when I'm in the office and, oh, you got to bring her here and blah, 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 you're never going to see her again. Those were different takes every time. But when I was actually approaching him at the cemetery or when I had his wife and I threw her up against the wall, I didn't really have to worry about lines because it was just being visceral and just, you know, uh, just, just moving with some type of passion. You know what I'm saying? So it helped. And anyone who knows me, who's been around me, you know, if you've been around me playing basketball, you've been around me throwing up some weights, I go from zero to 100 really quick. So the first take, I might be subdued. You know, I taught, like, when I had his wife against the wall, I just let her know, like, this is going to get a little crazy. Um, I'm not going to throw you against the wall hard. 
but just be aware so you can brace yourself. And when people see that scene, they're like, yo, did you hurt her that? I was like, no, 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 no. It, it was just, it was, she's a great stunt actress and she, she sold it very well. Yes, she did. Cause you, the character, not to spoil the people <laughs> and, and we are going to, just to let everybody know, we are going to post Ray Mel Carter on our Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram. So the audience can check it out because, um, you know, it's something that they, they need to see. But again, you know, with this character, I mean, come on, man, kidnapping. I mean, what else? Were, I mean, it was so many bad things that this person was, was doing. And a lot of it, like, Easy, would you say is a lot of it was Chris's facials, like some of the things that you weren't even saying, just the look, the like the slag, like smile you're giving when you're like answering the phone when you think that he's been taken out. It's just like it's all there. It's like you were having the time of your life, it seemed like. Doesn't it seem like he was having the time of his life playing this guy? Ever? I I think it all started with the first scene where he had the trench coat on, and I was like, damn, well, this is clearly the bad guy because he just looks evil. <laughs> like just the demeanor and everything, I was like, man, this is gonna be very interesting. And um, you never, and then and another like part that stuck out his, with that too. I'm sorry, another cut you off easy is that he never called him by his first name because I'm calling him Mr. Carter in such a condescending way. Like, what a jerk this guy is, man. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing. Like, you know, I know he says like sometimes he'd be on ten, but like, uh, Ryle, Alex Riley in this movie is literally the same mood the whole time, even towards the end of the movie, like nothing changed. <laughs> like his demeanor was very condescending and just kind of nonchalant the whole time. And it was very interesting. Cause like <laughs> usually most evil villains are like on 10 or they're tripping or doing something crazy. And it's like, Riley's just cool. And nonchalant Not this guy. The whole time. He'll take you out and then he'll just go right to lunch. That's what he would do. He just go eat like nothing happened. <laughs> So it's very, yeah. very interesting. I was glad because, um, like I said, Louis, let me let me do what I wanted to do. It might not have been the vision that he wanted in the beginning, but once he saw what I was doing, he just said, "Go with what you're doing." And that's what I tell you know people when they when they're when they're acting, you know, especially because I did a couple other one feature film called When the Well Runs Dry. And another short film. But when we were casting on the Well Runners Drive, what happens is everyone comes in to audition. You know, I want to be there seeing everybody audition. And once you pick the actor or the actress, you don't just have faith and do do what you do because okay, we went through the audition process and now we're filming. Don't you shouldn't have to come to me and be like, yo, is that okay or is that all right? I chose you because I saw what you had. So now just do what you do. You know what I'm saying? There should be no more. You shouldn't have to question yourself anymore. Oh, I have a like quick said, question real quick. Oh, yeah. Um, from, a, I guess, a staffing perspective and picking your respective actors and actresses, what did that process look like and about how long did it take you guys to find uh, the cast that we ended up seeing in the movie? Um, Ramel Carter, again, this all goes back. Because what we're doing and what a lot of independent people do is try to showcase their talents. And they put on their friends to help showcase their talents. So Louis P. Yeah. came to me because he's a martial artist, but he's also a writer. 
So he wanted to showcase mm-hmm. that he could write a film, number one. And two, he wrote something where he could showcase his talent. So he practices and he um, spars with all these artists or all these um, people that you see in the movie. Um, a couple of these guys are actually trying to become famous in the wrestling world. Um, you might, you'll see who wants to be a wrestler and who doesn't, by the way, by the way they act. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, one guy that stands out for sure is uh, the white guy with the long, almost mullet. Yeah. I, I was like, man, this homie looked like Joe Exotic, kind of low-key. Like, exactly. So that dude, you can tell <laughs> I don't know he wants to be a wrestler. when y'all film this. But, uh, you know, if wrestling doesn't work out for him, he could definitely be like a Joe Exotic impersonator. <laughs> but but I was just wondering that because, you know, indie films are different, and that's what I was just trying to figure out. Was it a bunch of friends just getting together and making it, making what we see on on the on the screen, or was it you guys had to do a little bit of homework and go recruit folks and do auditions and things like that, so... This this one was all of Louis P's people, except for the last major fight. He flew, like I said, he flew that guy in from uh, from California. From everybody else, most of the guys that he fought were actually people that he knows that he trains with. Um, okay. Got I would you. also have to after this. I'll send you a link to when the rail runs dry. That was more of setting up auditions. People all over New York City actually coming to audition. So that's a different a different animal. Yeah, I'd love to check so that I'll out send too. You, I'll give you the link so you could post that so people can see the difference. Um, but both are both are great for what they are, I believe. No, but, you know, we'll, that's we'll up to the viewer. It's all subjective. We'll definitely be sharing those, and um, I'll be uh, more than happy to check out some more more of your work because I'm, I'm intrigued to see more of it. So um, I had another question here for you um, as well, and then uh, we're going to play a little game that we have here on the aftermath after this this question here. But... What would you 16, say? I got a follow is, up after yours. Okay. What What would you say is the most? Well, go ahead. Ask your question first, Easy. I can go ahead, man. I've been doing this. Go ahead. Okay. Um. So my my other question was, um, I think for you post COVID, what do you think filmmaking will look like? Because if you think about it, and I'm just referencing when I was in theater they kind of do a good job practicing social distancing anyway, unless you kind of have like a scene where all the actors or actresses are close. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you think those differences will be like in the post COVID world when it comes to filmmaking? Uh, I am, I am not sure. I'm really not sure. Um, I thought that we were going to go back to work like June 1st. So I was standing on this new pilot and we stopped, filming around March 15th and I thought that we will go back to filming around June 1st but now they're saying we United the whole New York area metropolitan area won't start filming until like September 1st uh, so just that is a bad sign because I thought we'll just be able to pick back up but as you were saying a lot of people don't know what goes on behind the scenes a lot of people behind the scenes are in that age group that when they get sick, they might pass away. So a lot of people in the unions, a lot of the uh, the Teamsters, they're all in their 60s and 70s. So I can understand why they would want to make sure that the the the, the epidemic has, has, has died down before they go back to film. Because like I said, a lot of the people behind the scenes are in their 60s or 50s or 60s, 70s. Um, 
do pick back up, I can see that when you're on the set, the well, actors, there's only like two or three principal actors on the, the on set at one time. And then you might have the extras. I can see them just not hiring as many. Because right now when you do a, a film or when you do a TV show, when, usually when you do a TV show, they need 25 union actors and then the rest might be non-union. So maybe they cut down the numbers. Maybe it'd be only 15 union and, you know, maybe another 10 non-union and spread them out even more. So for the social distancing, um, but it's, I really can't say any definite how it's going to be. That's a, man, that was a spot on question easy about the current climate of things, because this COVID stuff has just changed up everything on just on so many levels. And uh, Chris, I was just going to jump in with my, um, I guess another follow-up on this is that, with you having your your background in many different phases of entertainment, what's the most challenging? Putting together a song, directing a movie, or directing a video? I mean, for me, they all just flow. But, again, it's subjective because, yeah, I might feel I do something, and people might hear it and be like, yo, that shit's trash. Or I might shoot something like, oh, I don't know what the hell you're doing. You know what I'm saying? So right. for me, what I do, it, 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 seems, it seems to flow out easy. It's all it's all about what people like. People might see it and be like, oh, it's not my thing. It is what it is. So okay. And I just I just do what I do. And when and it comes to making songs, like you just put it, I, I just put it out like there and hope I, like it. Yeah, yeah. So what I do is just what I tell other writers to do, write what you know. So when I write music, I just write what I know so it's easy. And when I film, I film from my eye. I don't try to do... You know, like a Spike Jones to try to do something, or um, I'm not that artistic. I just want it to be real. I want the 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 viewer to see the world as I see it. So I know some people are like, oh, it has to be, and I want this color scheme. I want people to move this way, and blah blah blah. And I just wanted to people to see how I see it, and hopefully they like it. Uh, so it's a it's a good answer, and it's a you know. It's, it, it makes sense where it's saying, look, I just got to put out there what I'm putting out there, and hopefully the the audience, you know, takes in what I'm giving them and they like what, what they hear or see or what I've done. So, yeah. um, Chris, now we have a, uh, we have a segment on, on this particular podcast. Um, it's called Don't At Me. So I'm going to ask you a few questions, give you a couple of choices, and then you gave your, like, definitive answer, and then when you give your answer, you got to put don't at me on the end of it, like saying, look, I'm putting my stamp on it. That's This is what it is. And I'm going to tell you, I haven't <laughs> my brother will tell you, I ain't been easy on folks with these, man. I'm giving you the the hard stuff here, so I hope you can, uh, you know, handle what's going on here because the choice is not going to be. my best. <laughs> All right. So. Uh-huh. All right. So we're going to start off here. Which, well, I should say, what is the better album? The Notorious B.I.G., Ready to Die, or Jay-Z, Reasonable Doubt? Uh, those two? Yeah. Uh, I got to be those two. Um, I would say... That's hard. I'll be honest with you, I didn't really listen to either one. Whoa! So I'm going to go with... Uh, I think more people like the lyrics. I'm going to go with 
Biggie don't at me. I'm gonna say the better the better the better first album was from Biggie, so don't at me at that. Alright. Now, this next one. Which NBA but team? Can I say can I give a caveat? Can I just say Go ahead. I feel like uh at that point in time, so both albums dropped around ninety three, ninety four. And I think the best album at that time was Common Sense Resurrection. That's why I didn't listen to the other two. But that's me. Oh, you were too busy to the Common. All right. You can go off the board. You're the guest. You can do whatever you want, man. All right. Gotcha. So the next one, um, which NBA team that underachieved more? And the word underachieve, I might be using as a curve here, but just didn't fit their full potential. So would it be the Oklahoma City Thunder with Westbrook, KD, Harden, and Ibaka, or the Patrick Ewing-led Knicks of the 90s that never could beat, beat the Bulls with Michael Jordan? Uh, uh, uh. Well, I can't say they underachieved because I think the Knicks played to their fullest potential. They didn't really have any great, great, great players. I think Union was good, but I don't think they were great. Like Stockton, I mean, not Stockton, but um, Dwayne, who else was on the team? Uh, Oakley. Oakley Whoever they dark. had, I don't think they they were they were they were where they need to be to beat Jordan or even beat the Pacers most times. So I think um, Oklahoma City Thunder didn't live up to their potential. Number one, I think at that time Durant wasn't at his fighting weight. I thought he was too skinny. I think in the finals anyone could push him off his off his block. You know what I'm saying? That's okay. one. I think Harden didn't play up to his potential. So definitely those those Oklahoma City Thunder team didn't play up to their potential. But don't at me at for that. Alright. Who would you rather take out on a date if you could get a choice? So Holly Berry in nineteen ninety three or Rihanna in twenty twenty? I would definitely take out Holly Berry because she always seemed unattainable. I think Rihanna always seemed, just from that one time when they had that write-up, like she was having sex at some parade or some shit, I was, nah. Nah, if, if I get with some girl or a woman, you know, it's just, our business is between us. So I would definitely say Holly Berry. Okay. Don't add me for that. All right, I got to throw this one at my brother, too. What you got, Easy? Which one do you take? Holly Berry in 93? I know you weren't around yet in 93. Or Rihanna today? Well, well, I'm not blind, so I know what Holly Berry looks like even today. But I'm with Chris on that one because, uh, you know, you know I like me some baseball. And when Rihanna was dating Matt Kemp, he went from a all-time great to just an average Joe Blow, so I'm with I'm with Chris on that one. I'm going Halle Berry, even though Rihanna's not ugly by any stretch. I think she's just a little a little wild, too wild. All right, and I wanted to before I get to the next one here with Chris, I wanted a retroactive one with you. Would you say Oklahoma City underachieved? I, I definitely think. Oh my bad. I definitely Sorry. think it's Oklahoma City, um, because I think Chris made a good point. The Knicks reached their potential because they didn't really have another superstar out there. It was really like Patrick Ewing and the guys. So I think <laughs> they reached their full potential. Um, and Oklahoma City, you know, you see what all of those guys went to do individually. Right. So they definitely underachieved. All right. Chris, this next one, man, you know about this because you lived in both. Which city has the worst traffic, Atlanta or New York? 
Oh, I don't see Atlanta has way more roads. But if you're on the road around two thirty and five thirty, you're sitting in traffic. But on the flip side, if you drive around New York City and you're on the FDR, you're sitting in stand. I mean, you're not moving, not moving at all because there's only like two pathways to get up Manhattan. You got the FDR and you got the, the West Side. So yeah, Atlanta has way more highways, but it's 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 a toss up for me. So he says both both are bad. Don't add him because they are both bad. I, New York was the first place I ever been to where I saw people blowing their buses. It blew my southern mind. I couldn't believe it. All right, <laughs> last one here, and this is this is interesting, and this could go for both of you. We'll start with Chris. Does pineapple go on pizza? Yes or no? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But don't add me for that. I mean, I love Hawaiian. This is back when I used to have meat. I used to always order the Hawaiian pizza, you know, ham and pineapple. But now I just have pineapple because I don't eat meat anymore. Pineapple belongs in your smoothie, not on your pizza. Easy, what's up, man? In your smoothie? What? Yes. Yeah, in a smoothie or just eating them cut up or something, but not on your not on your pizza. Yes. Come on, man. Come on. What, what you got, man? Yes, you, you, like, does pineapple belong on pizza, yes or no? He's unsure. He's not sure. He's not sure. I mean, but that's just me. I would always put pineapple. But I have pineapples, you know, out the can also. I have cut up pineapples, pineapples out the can. I'm just a pineapple fan. (laughs) He said yes and don't add him. Did did I lose lose you, man? He's gone. Uh, well, that's okay. I'm just gonna go ahead and count and say that he would say he would say no. Don't put pineapple on on on. Ah, pizza. come on! Don't put him on your side. Just because that's your side. Oh no! All right, so we're gonna do a take over. Just me and you, then. We're gonna finish up this. We're gonna finish up this 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 station. And we're gonna finish up this show. Just me and you. All right, it'll work. I can Maybe he'll come back around. But Chris, man, like I said, diverse background, uber talented, many different things going on. Can you please tell the audience? If they're interested in working with you, you got True First Studios. Please tell them how they can get in contact with you. And of course, we're going to post all of your um, contact uh, information, website, and all that to our social media. But please tell them, you know, what you can offer up and how they can get in touch with you. I would say the easiest way definitely would be the uh, Instagram Truth T R U T H First F I R S T True First Studios. True First Studios on the Instagram. You'll see what I've done. Um, like you were saying, Edison Sean did a, a song with Redman. That video is up there. Um, a couple of clips from Ramel Carter. Uh, got a clips from all the other music videos. You know, I worked with pop artists, rap artists, R&B artists, whatever you are, because I'm a fan of music. Like I said, I started off in music. So when people come to me with their vision, no matter what genre it is, I can bring it to life. I hope I can bring it to life. I can't say I can do everything because some people have delusions of grandeur. You know, they have a $500 budget, but they want to, you know, <laughs> something, something out of, you know, the, the silver screen. So we, we can definitely work together and bring something that you'll be happy with. So definitely hit me up on the Instagram. As far as the acting, uh, like I said, the industry shut down now, so I'm trying to take advantage of this shutdown by 
writing my own screenplay. And I'm just trying to write what I know. So it's going to be a movie, uh, a, a, a story about romance and unrequited love. You know, a lot of my music is either about something conscious, you know, whatever it is, or something that has to do with relationships. I've been in a lot of relationships. I had love, lost love, so I write about that. So it's only only fitting that I try to write a movie about those situations that I've been through. So that's what I'm working on now while we're going through this this down down period. All right, cool, cool, man. So um, like I said, we're going to be uh, posting up your information, including the entire Ray Mel Carter movie and then also um, – your other film that you were I'll talking about. I'll get you a about. link for the for the for the when the world runs dry, so people can see that. Cool. Also. We'll put it we'll put it all out there for you, um, so people can see you know what you've been doing and put a name, put a face to the name and everything. So, um, man, Chris, I just you know I appreciate you you know taking out time. You know I'm glad we were able to connect because you and I hadn't talked in a while, and it's good to catch up with you. And uh, we need been to do this long, again. Been too long, man. How's the family? How's everybody? Hey man, we hang we hanging in, man. We spend a lot of time together. It's a lot of binge watching going on around here, and we just out here, you know, ducking the Rona, man, playing with you. Um, what? Okay, so just watch this show on uh, Netflix called uh, Reckoning. I don't know if have you heard of that one. I haven't heard that one. No. What's it about? Um, it is. Uh, it has to do with it's like this kind of small town. And there's a, a serial killer that was out a few years, and it kind of broke one of the main uh, detectives to where he's like the the drunk, disgruntled, like hard-nosed detective. And then after years of not having any killings, it resurfaces again, and now he's back on the hunt trying to find what's called the I think it's called the Red the the Red River Killer or something like that. So it's just mm-hmm. him trying to check tra- you know track this guy down, and then you trying to figure out who exactly this person is so you should check it out man it's a real easy watch not easy watch from a gore standpoint but it's an easy watch as far as entertainment goes so you should check that out reckoning and there's there's your plug gotcha. everybody for you something to watch reckoning on netflix check it out one thing I, I i watched that i wasn't really into but i watched it four seasons or no three seasons in three days was something that was shot down in atlanta and that was uh black lightning you know, when I first saw Black Lightning it's on the, so the WB, I was like, "Yo, that it looks it looks weird, man. His costume looks weird." But when I actually started to watch it, the writing was really good, and they tackled a lot of great subject matter. You know, they didn't try to stray away from black relations, black white relations. You know, what was done to us. You know, through the course of history, the last 400 years, they actually addressed it. And I thought Black Lightning is a great watch for anybody who just wants to see good storyline, but is also into superheroes. So Black Lightning was my, what I suggest. I, I concur with that recommendation. Black Lightning is a great show. Look who's back. Well, man, easy. You got to answer this question, though, before we talk about before we get done here. Is does pineapple belong on pizza? Chris was getting on me. He's like, don't. He's like, don't sway him your way. He's like, we need to know because Chris says pineapple belongs on pizza. So what do you say? I thought I, I thought I heard that. Sorry, y'all. I was going in and out. But there is no way in hell pineapple's going on pizza. That is. What? That is terrible. <laughs> it is an abomination. Come on, Stop. man. Come on, man. Let's evolve. Let's evolve. Come on. What what New York what New York joints have pineapples on pizza? Everyone, man. Everyone knows Hawaiian pizza. Oh no, I, 
Me, just just go into any pizzeria and just be like, yo, you got pineapple and you got Hawaiian, and they'll know what Hawaiian is. If I'm no, hanging man. out, give me if my, we hanging my out and I'm buying my meat lovers, pizza, no way. <laughs> no, a- I'm telling, absolutely I'm trying, I'm trying not. Help y'all. You say trying to broaden your horizons, brother. I just couldn't see myself like if I'm... Pineapples belong in my vodka and my juices. That's true. Not on my pizza. That's true. Vodka pineapple, the only way it goes down, brother. He says, I'm trying to direct y'all like I'm directing these movies to tell y'all to eat this. And I'm like, I'm going to defy the director and say, I'm going to just chill, you know. Hey, man, I watched any movie or listen to any song that you put out. But I'm not listening to the pizza recommendation right there. I'm sorry on that. Yeah, I was like, he's a good, great, great artist, great music, great director. He's like, thank you, pizza. thank you. Nah, but I, like I said, bro, it's a, it's too long since we had spoke. Um, definitely want to catch up again, and uh, we're gonna uh, let the folks know because you blessed me with some new music from you. So for the people who listen to our live show on Tuesdays, be looking out for that music from Truth First cuz we are going to be pumping it. So just to let you know, we are going to be playing some of that on the on the live show coming up here real soon. So again, Chris Green, aka Truth First coming through to holler at us here on the aftermath. Again, my friend, it's a pleasure to, you know, speak to you again and you know, I wish you nothing but the best in everything you got your hands in, bro. I thank you for that. I wish you two the same, man. Much success. Keep doing what you're doing. The show is great. Keep killing it. Appreciate it. And um, don't worry, man. I'm gonna be at you real soon to come back on the guest on the live show, so you can come hanging out with our, you know, with our shenanigans and everything. So again, I appreciate you, and uh, I look for that information, and we will post it up for everybody uh, later on when the show drops, which will probably be tomorrow, which is beautiful, Sunday for beautiful. people. Thank you for that. All right. Appreciate it. That is Chris Green. Also known as Truth First, hanging out on the aftermath, giving him the round of applause. Appreciate you. All right. Another successful interview with another great artist, Easy. How does it feel, man? Got another aftermath in the bank. Yeah, man. I, I just think uh, we have, he has a very diverse background, man. I mean, not many I mean when you think of rappers turn actors it's a very short list and not a lot of people can say that they can successfully make that transition. So it's good to talk to somebody that's done that successfully. It it was it was good to talk to him and just I'm just I don't know man some of the people who have these 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 backgrounds are just, they don't do just one thing good. They do like three or four. Like some people struggle with trying to find one niche. Here's Chris Real up here. He's got like four or five different things that he's doing. Like, again, it's like a traveling band. Yeah, basically, so, or uh, the jack of all trades, whichever one works. Whichever one works. So, again, we want to thank everybody for downloading this. We're on Apple Podcasts. Please rate, subscribe, review. It helps us out a whole bunch, helps us get to other avenues we're on spotify check us out we'll be back on live depending on when you listen to this tuesday eight o'clock and i just keep saying this we don't know what we're talking about yet because we haven't talked about it but we will so easy you got any parting shots before we give the good people back there evening afternoon or wherever they whenever they're consuming this Apple Music is better than Spotify. Don't 
don't that even. is that no, that is like pineapple on pizza. Spotify is by far the superior streaming service. Period. All right. You just branded that. Like I said, don't at me. I said what I said. I mean, you did say Apple first. You said Apple first. Yeah, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, they're both great. I'm not going to – listen, I'm I'm not going to be out here dissing a partner. I can't do that on the air. So I'm I'm sorry, Apple Podcasts. I never said either one was – one Spotify was bad, for the record. I'm just saying one's better than the other. I don't care what our listeners choose. I'm just saying – EZ uses Apple Music. And I use Spotify. But they are both great, and you can't go wrong Hence. with either one. I had to go into shield mode for our partners. Like, hey, Spotify, Apple, both great. So any anything else you want to say blasphemous before we get out of here, EZ? <laughs> <laughs> no, not, nothing else blasphemous. But pineapples do not belong on pizza. No. So, I, I can't believe my phone started acting up on that part. I know we're trying to get you in, but, you know, that type of stuff happens. It's cool. No problem. Anyway, again, appreciate you hitting the download button to check out this great interview with a great artist like Truth First coming to hang out with us. Great guy. You know, great things going for him. Easy. It's always fun, man. Same so here, Sixteen. Yes, sir. So check us out live Tuesday, 8 o'clock. We'll have something for you. We're going to post up that Ray Mel Carter. Y'all got to see this dude do this kick, man. It's undefeated. I mean, it's, it's epic. But again, we appreciate it. And back to your regularly scheduled weekend, day, or whenever you're listening. We appreciate it. <laughs>